This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, November 30th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kate Trinko. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments for a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization is the biggest abortion case to come before the Supreme Court in years. Erin Hawley, a senior attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, has followed the Dobbs case closely. She sits down with Mary Margaret Olihan to discuss the details of the case and its implications. But before we get to Mary Margaret's conversation, let's hit the top news stories of the day. President Joe Biden says he believes we will see cases of the new Omicron variant in America sooner or later. The president spoke to the nation about the new COVID-19 variant from the White House on Monday. Biden said he had three central messages that he wanted to communicate to the American people regarding the new variant per The Washington Post. First, this variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We have the best vaccine in the world, the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. The president added that, secondly, the best protection against the variant is for Americans to get vaccinated and receive the booster shot. And Biden said, thirdly, that in the event a new vaccine or booster is needed to fight the Omicron variant, the development of that vaccine or booster will be fast-tracked. The president added that his team is developing plans for how to effectively fight COVID-19 through the winter months, specifically saying he does not plan to implement more lockdowns. Thursday, I'll be putting forward a detailed strategy outlining how we're going to fight COVID this winter, not with shutdowns or lockdowns, but with more widespread vaccinations, boosters, testing and more. More than 71% of American adults are vaccinated, and more than 86% of seniors are vaccinated. Two major trials began Monday. Ghislaine Maxwell, friend and associate of Jeffrey Epstein, was charged in 2020 with enticing a minor to travel to engage in criminal sexual activity, transporting a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, and perjury in connection with a sworn deposition, among other charges, per the Justice Department. Maxwell has pleaded not guilty, and on Monday, the jury was selected for her trial, which will be held in Manhattan. She could spend up to 70 years in jail if found guilty. Meanwhile, Jesse Smollett, the actor accused of faking a hate crime, is also beginning his trial. Back in 2019, Smollett said two men used racial and homophobic slurs against him and that one of them had shouted, This is MAGA country. But as the story gained national attention, two brothers who were extras on Empire, the TV show Smollett was on at the time, claimed they had been hired by Smollett to fake the hate crime. Per the Associated Press, Smollett, who has pleaded not guilty, could face up to three years in jail if found guilty. The Students for Socialism group at Arizona State University is working to get Kyle Rittenhouse kicked out of school. Rittenhouse currently attends Arizona State University online. Only a week and a half ago, the 18-year-old was acquitted on homicide charges by a jury in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Rittenhouse shot three people and killed two during riots in Kenosha in August of 2020. The jury determined that Rittenhouse acted in self-defense. 
Still, students for socialism at Arizona State are calling on the school to remove Rittenhouse and issue a public statement against him. The far-left group is also demanding that the university shift campus police funding to support the Multicultural Center and establish a care center on campus. The socialist students plan to hold a protest against Rittenhouse on their campus tomorrow. As of Monday afternoon, Arizona State University has yet to make a public comment in response to the Students for Socialists demand. Stay tuned for Mary Margaret's conversation with attorney Aaron Hawley as they break down what you need to know about the Dobbs case. My name is Claire Marker. I'm Jonathan Ski. And I'm Natasha Chunyowski. And we're, and we're interns, interns at, at the Heritage, Heritage Foundation. Foundation. The Heritage Foundation Young Leaders Intern Program gives college students and recent graduates the opportunity to work for America's leading conservative think tank. Intern opportunities span from research and writing to filming and editing videos, creating social media content, organizing heritage events, and much, much more. I'm Paloma Chacon, and this semester I'm interning in Heritage's communication department, and every day I get hands-on experience in audio and video editing. Every Heritage intern has the opportunity to participate in weekly first principle seminars and policy briefings. You will hear from leading experts on the big issues facing America today. The Heritage Foundation offers housing for all interns right in the center of Washington, D.C. And the best part, it's a paid internship. So if you want to apply for next semester's program, visit heritage.org, click on About Heritage at the top of the page, and then click Careers. You'll find the link for the Young Leaders program there with all the instructions on how you can apply today. Joining me today is Erin Hawley, mother of three, wife to Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, and senior appellate counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court will be hearing a major abortion case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, a case involving a Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks. Erin, to start us off, can you explain what this law entails? Absolutely. So I think this case could be the most important of our lifetimes. And the reason being is that Mississippi has passed a really common sense law. So Mississippi restricts abortions, as you said, after 15 weeks. It has robust exceptions for the health and life of the mother. It allows months uh, for women to get an abortion. It is consistent with over 90 percent of the abortion laws nationwide. Um, And it applies, I think most importantly, at a time in which at 15 weeks, uh, an unborn baby can open and close her fists. She can open and close her eyes. uh, She can hear her mother's voice and she can quite likely feel pain. And despite all of this, the lower court struck Mississippi's law down under Roe and Casey. So why is this case such a big deal right now? Why are we seeing so many abortion advocates freaking out about this, so many pro-life advocates making a huge deal out of this? So it's really the first time in 30 years in which the Supreme Court has really had to confront uh, the realities of Roe and Casey head on. And the realities under those laws are that it allows states uh, to allow abortion up until the very last minute of pregnancy. Um, And it forbids states from protecting unborn life until viability, which is about 22 or 24 weeks. So it's sort of this one-way ratchet where states cannot do anything about protecting unborn life until viability. Um, But states, on the other hand, could choose uh, to allow abortions uh, really late uh, in the term. And this is the first chance the court has had in 30 years um, to revisit 
Whitrow and Casey. And to look at those opinions uh, for just a second, um, they're likely the worst Supreme Court opinions that are still on the books. Um, And the reason for this is that they um, make up uh, from sort of whole constitutional cloth this right to an abortion. You can hardly find a constitutional scholar who would actually say uh, the Roe versus Wade is rightly decided. Um, And yet here we are 50 years later saddled with its consequences. And science has progressed quite a bit since Roe v. Wade. What do we know now about an unborn baby at 15 weeks? Absolutely. As, as the Chief Justice said in a different context, you know, uh, the history didn't stop in 1973. Um, so if you look at an ultrasound from 1973 when Roe was decided, you really can't see much at all. Um, and today, in contrast, um, we know a tremendous amount um, about human development and development of the unborn. Again, at 15 weeks, uh, when the Mississippi law applies, a baby can smile, uh, she can move about in her mother's womb. She can stretch. uh, She can hiccup. Um, Her internal organs uh, are there and functioning. um, And she's in every way a fully formed uh, human being. And again, this is at 15 weeks. And currently, states cannot protect unborn babies until 22 or 24 weeks along uh, when their development has progressed even beyond these points. You've previously written that, quote, the days of Roe v. Wade may finally be numbered. And that, that really stood out to me. What happens if Roe is overturned? What does a world without Roe v. Wade look like? So that's a great question. And so because the Constitution says nothing about Roe, it would return the matter uh, to the democratic process. And so then you would have states who are able to debate um, sort of the policy matter uh, of abortion, and you would allow states to protect unborn life. Uh, So states like Mississippi, uh, other states would be uh, able to protect life uh, when it is so clearly human. And we've seen a lot of abortion advocates paint this picture of chaos and danger and destruction and restriction if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Is that accurate? Um, I don't think so. There are laws that would come into effect um, if Roe versus Wade uh, were overturned. Uh, and almost all of those laws have exceptions for the life and health of the mother, uh, for situations like rape and those sorts of things. Um, so you are going to have common sense laws coming out of the state legislatures who are able to both protect the life of the unborn uh, as well as to protect women's health. So, so I think you're going to see um, just, just good laws um, coming out of our state legislatures. So, for example, in California, you might see some very progressive abortion laws, whereas in Texas, you might see very pro-life laws. Absolutely. So you're going to have different laws um, in different states, um, but you're going to have the the people be able to have a say in that. Um, And you're going to have advocates for pro-life advocates that will will go to California and and show pictures of ultrasounds of babies at 15 weeks and say, you know, you might want to to reconsider um, uh, these sorts of late-term abortions. That's really interesting. So it would change the ballgame for advocacy against abortion. Absolutely. And why do you think that the Supreme Court took up this case in the first place? That's a really good question. Um, The Dobbs case actually has a a really interesting history. Um, The case was on the Supreme Court docket for nearly a year, which is almost unheard of. So the case uh, kept being the term is relisted. So the court kept reconsidering whether to decide this case over and over again. Um, And then after Justice Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the court, the court finally took the case. Uh, And you have to have four votes at the Supreme Court to grant cert or in order to hear a case. So presumably she made a difference. Um, And so I think this is really good news for Mississippi. Uh, It seems like you at least have four votes uh, that are interested uh, in revisiting the Supreme Court's abortion jurisprudence. Um, And this idea that that maybe they think the common sense law in Mississippi um, should withstand uh, constitutional scrutiny. 
And is there anything in the Constitution that establishes a right to an abortion? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, we hear this so much. We hear that so much from abortion advocates. Why is that? So so I think it's sort of become entrenched in, in advocacy uh, for, for pro-abortion uh, proponents. But the fact of the matter is it's just untrue. And again, you could hardly find a constitutional scholar who will say that Roe versus Wade is rightly decided. And if you think of some of the really influential liberal law professors, in fact, they come up the other way. Um, there was a professor named John. John Hart Eli, and he called Roe um, bad because it's bad constitutional law and didn't even give the sense, uh, didn't even have an obligation to try to be constitutional law. And you have Professor Larry Tribe, again, another influential liberal law professor who talks that, about Roe sort of coming up like a hologram from emanations and penumbras of various amendments. So there's this real sense in which the court simply made up the right to an abortion. It's nowhere in the Constitution. Um, and the court since then um, has sort of reaffirmed that if the court is going to make up stuff, then at least it needs to be deeply rooted in our nation's history or tradition. So this is under the 14th Amendment, and there's a 14th Amendment interest in liberty. And sometimes the court finds that certain things are protected within this liberty interest. Um, but again, uh, the right to abortion ha has no sort of uh, tether to our nations in history. In fact, in 1868, when uh, the 14th Amendment was passed, about 30 of 37 states uh, had restrictions on abortion. So there simply is no historical right to an abortion. Um, and nor is it located in anywhere in the Constitution's text, structure, or history. So 30 out of 37 states had restrictions on abortion when Roe v. Wade was passed. Uh, sorry, when uh, when the 14th Amendment when was passed. When the 14th Amendment yes. was passed. That's not something you hear talked about very much. No, not at all. Um, and the reason being is that the history is clearly uh, on the, the pro-life side, and this, there, there's no way you can make a historical argument for a deeply rooted right to abortion. And I think Roe v. Wade is often misrepresented. You see abortion advocates now, they say, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that's the end of abortion in America. You'll be in a back alley with a hanger. Why, why is Roe v. Wade misrepresented in this way? And what does Roe v. Wade actually mean for abortion? So Roe v. Wade takes the matter out of the democratic process. So instead of state legislatures like Mississippi, state legislatures like California deciding what is the best way to protect women and children in their state, um, you have a majority of justices. Um, in Roe, it was seven men um, uh, who decided that, that women should have this right to abortion. And as, as a woman, as a, as a working mom, I sort of find their language uh, distressing. So Justice Blackman in Roe actually said um, that maternity would force upon women uh, this bleak and distressful life. Um, and I think that's just not a proper view of motherhood or womanhood. Um, and it's something at least that should be debated in the, the public branches and the democratically elected branches and not decided uh, by a majority of Supreme Court justices. So how do you think the justices will decide on this case? So it's always tough uh, to predict Supreme Court opinions, um, but looking at the tea leaves, it looks like there's a couple of ways the court could come out. Um, I would be surprised if the court does not uphold Mississippi's law. Um, there was no reason to take the case. Uh, there was not any splits among the lower courts. They were all in consistent agreement um, that a state could not do what Mississippi did. It could not even enact a common sentence law that restricted abortion at 15 weeks when a baby can do all these things we talked about. Um, so the court didn't have to take the case. There was no sort of controversy um, that it needed to clear up. So the fact that the court took the case indicates um, that they're interested in at least upholding Mississippi's law. Um, they could do this by saying, uh, for example, that the law does not impose an undue burden. If you look at the percentage of women that get abortions before 15 weeks, I think it's something like 95 percent close to that. So, so the court could say this is not an undue burden. Uh, Mississippi's law makes sense. It protects both women and children. It's fine. Um, hopefully, 
hopefully the court will say a lot more than that. Hopefully the court will say, look, Roe was wrong the day it was decided. Um, and if you look at these factors that are called star decisis factors, uh, they just reveal that that decision has gotten more wrong over time. Uh, as you said, science didn't stop in 1973. We know a lot more about unborn life. And one thing that's really compelling to me is if you look at the Roe opinion itself, it talks about the potentiality of life. Now, we know that's nonsense today. Uh, the human life uh, at 15 weeks is absolutely human life. It's not a potential life. So, so these things have changed um, since Roe. So I think it's possible um, and, and hopefully likely that the court will go ahead and overrule Roe versus Wade. And currently, there's a large number of justices on the Supreme Court who were appointed by Republican presidents. That doesn't mean they're going to rule the way conservatives want them to. Do you have any thoughts on whether these justices are open to doing something as big as overturning Roe v. Wade? So I think it depends upon the justice. So uh, these justices, as you said, they're six appointed by Republican uh, presidents. Um, but not all of these justices think exactly alike. So I think you have a few justices who are comfortable being quite bold um, and would ro overturn Roe versus Wade tomorrow. I think you have some other justices who are a little more incremental um, and would consider uh, maybe some more intermediate steps. Um, but I think when confronted with uh, the sort of uh, the enormity of the errors uh, made in Roe, as well as the scientific evidence and the changes since Roe, I'm hopeful that even the incremental justices uh, will see uh, that, that the best course is just to reverse Roe. And I hear that Justice Kavanaugh is a big question mark in this case. Would you say that's accurate? And how do you think he'll decide on this case? So one thing that's interesting about Justice Kavanaugh is he came up from the D.C. Circuit. Um, and the D.C. Circuit does not hear many abortion cases because they don't hear cases that come up from the states. Um, so Justice Kavanaugh does not have a long record on abortion. I think he only had one abortion case actually in his entire tenure uh, on the D.C. Circuit. Um, and he came out the right way on that case. Um, it, was, it was a pro-life ruling uh, on his part. Um, but we don't have a lot of data on that. Um, again, I hope uh, that when Justice Kavanaugh is confronted by, by all the you know, problems with Roe, um, and all of the um, scientific advancement, um, that he will be a vote to reverse, but we don't have a lot of data. His confirmation hearing was accompanied by very, very angry sentiment about abortion. Abortion advocates said that Kavanaugh coming to the Supreme Court would mean the end of Roe v. Wade. Do you anticipate any kind of great backlash against him or against the court if that should happen? You know, I, I think, of course, abortion advocates would be upset um, if Roe versus Wade were overturned, but then that would return to the democratic process where it should be. Uh, the fact of the matter is the Supreme Court has removed this issue um, from the democratic branches uh, where it should be. And one other thing I should say um, about uh, the Republican-appointed justices is that most of them consider themselves to be originalist um, and textualist. And there's no question, if you're an originalist or a textualist, uh, that the right result is to reverse Roe versus Wade um, in a follow-along case called Casey. Um, and the reason being is, as we've discussed, there's no uh, right to an abortion in the text, structure, or history of the Constitution. And for originalist justices, that the buck stops there. Um, then there shouldn't be a, a constitutional rule on this. It should be returned to the states uh, where states are allowed to protect both unborn children and mothers. And what about Amy Coney Barrett? We know that she has a past history of making very pro-life comments in her personal life. Do you think that will reflect in this case? 
So I, I don't think Justice Barrett will allow her personal opinions um, to influence her judging. But I do think what will influence her judging, again, is her commitment to originalism and constitutionalism. So again, it's this idea that if there's going to be a right to an abortion, you need to tether that somehow uh, to constitutional text, structure, or history. And that just can't be done here. So because of her committed views uh, to constitutionalism um, and to originalism, um, I'm hopeful that she too will vote to overall Roe. So what should we be on the watch for as this week progresses? So I think the oral argument will be illuminating. Um, it will be interesting to see um, what the justices' questions are. And I think we'll get a sense of, you know, what what might be motivating them to vote one way or the other. You know, are the justices concerned about reliance interests um, that women might have? Or on the other hand, are those reliance interests sort of offset by the availability of really affordable, really effective contraception uh, that didn't exist in 1973 and 1992? You know, are the justices really concerned that Roe has no basis in the Constitution? Um, So I think we'll get to see sort of where their heads are at a little bit. All right. Well, Erin, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation, and we're really looking forward to seeing where things go with this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. You can find The Daily Signal Podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. We hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.